The following audio is from Midtown Fellowship in Columbia, South Carolina. If you're interested in becoming a part of our extended family, visit midtowncolumbia.com slash partner. Amen. Uh, I'm Ant, one of the pastors here at Midtown Tunach. If I haven't had the pleasure uh, to meet you, hopefully I'll be able to do that uh, before uh, you head out today. Uh, We're in the beginning of a a series uh, that we're uh, calling Personal Liturgy. I'll explain what that is and what that's all about uh, in a second. Hopefully we're able to get you on the bulletins that has Personal Liturgy on it. If you are new, if this is your first time here, could you fill out the bottom of that bulletin for us? Uh, we just call it a sign and drop. We're going to pass the offering baskets around at the very end of our uh, time together here uh, this morning. We'd love to get to know you uh, a little bit more and even be able to follow up with you. Uh, we're grateful to have you uh, with us uh, this morning as we worship. Uh, as we said, the series that we're starting today is called Personal uh, Liturgy. Uh, I know that term liturgy is not a word that we're oftentimes familiar with. Basically, uh, it's the concept that a lot of uh, churches, especially uh, traditional churches, uh, kind of constantly uh, use. It's the concept of uh, the patterns and the things that we do on a consistent basis kind of shape us. Uh, the phrase that we we're saying for this series is the things that you do do things to you. So, so churches who have what, what we call high liturgy uh, will have uh, certain things that they do throughout their, their worship service. They do the same thing every week. So it might be a certain type of prayer that they do every week. It might be a confession of sin and then a, a confession of God's salvation uh, over us. And, and the point is that if we, if we do this in, in, in pattern, we do this over and over and over again, that God will begin to use it to shape us and mold us in some very specific ways. It helps keep our minds renewed. We, we know that repetition is one of the most powerful forms of, uh, of teaching and training, one of the most powerful tools um, involved in teaching and in training. When you do the same thing over and over again, it has a large effect on you. So when we talk about personal liturgy, uh, we're not talking about just in a corporate worship setting or in a co- corporate worship uh, gathering. We're talking specifically about the liturgy of our lives, if you would. We want to take some time and analyze the patterns. We're, we're creatures of habit, right? We, we have a tendency to, to fall into uh, either a rut or a very beneficial pattern that kind of shapes us and, and makes us into who we are today. Our, our personal liturgies, if you would, the way we've set up our lives, the patterns that we've gotten ourselves into have a, have a, large, uh, a large amount to do with uh, our character today, our practices today, the things that we uh, most heavily value today. Our pastors, we've been uh, in prayer for this series for a long time. We actually started planning it about, I think, about a year and a half ago. Uh, so we're really excited to, to get into it. We believe God's going to use it in some powerful ways uh, in our lives. To so kind of get our, our minds around with this, uh, this phrase that we'll be tossing around throughout the series, uh, that the things you do, do things to you. Um, I remember uh, this was probably... Uh, maybe, maybe about six, uh, maybe about nine months ago. Uh, I was trying to, to, to eat healthier. I'm one of those people, I just have a high metabolism. I can eat garbage and I don't put on much weight. Uh, but uh, I know in my family's history, um, especially uh, kind of extended family, you got, uh, you got the high cholesterol, you got the high blood pressure, you got the heart problems and all that. And so I was like, you know, what? I'm going to try to eat healthier. So I just like, I was like, well, I'm, I'm, I was struggling. Like I wasn't, I wasn't uh, accomplishing my goals in that. So I was like, all right, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to take one week and I'm going to try to not eat anything that's really bad. All right, now that's different from saying I'm only going to eat really good stuff, right? Y'all understand? I'm just saying, like, just junk food. I'm just going to try to stay away from junk food for a week. If it's, if it's just bad for you, I'm just going to try not to eat it. Now, everything that I consider, like, in, in the middle, mediocre, free game, completely free game. Uh, wasn't making myself eat vegetables or anything like that. But I was staying away from the bad stuff as much as I could for that week. I think I had, like, I think I gave myself, like, two cheat meals that week or whatever. But here's what happened after that, after that week. And I kid you not, from... From the end of that week until now, my, my taste and my desire uh, for foods that I used to just kind of like binge on 
it's just not nearly as strong as it was. Just, just one week, just one week of going without it, it began to shape me. It even began to shape the desires uh, that I have in a way that's, that's way more powerful than I ever anticipated it being. It's because the things that we do actually do things to us. Uh, I was talking uh, or hearing from one of our pastors um, this week, actually one of the pastors at a Lexington church, uh, and he was saying he was meeting, kind of having this like pastoral counseling session with, uh, with a young man who's really uh, struggling with lust, maybe even had uh, some, uh, some sex addiction uh, going on, and, and um, uh, one of our pastors was asking him, was like, okay, well, tell me, tell me about your life. Tell me about the, the, the patterns of your life, and he was like, he was like how was eating? Are, are you exercising? Anything like that? And he was like, no, I don't really, uh, I don't eat good. I don't exercise. I don't really do anything to take care of myself in that way, and he was like, okay, well, tell me about what are you doing in your free time. What, what, what does your free time look like? And he was like, well, I generally, I generally play video games for probably about four hours a day. And if I have the day off, I play, you know, I'll, I'll play for even longer than that. And he was like, that's pretty much how I occupy my free time. And, he, and, and as he talked about this, this struggle he was having with lust, it, it was in this very defeated way, not just defeated, but almost like, he's like, I know I should care about this and make war with this sin in my life, but I don't, I kind of find myself not even caring enough to fight against it. I just kind of, I just kind of give in whenever I feel uh, the temptation or whatever. And he even went to the point where he was a little bit upset with God. And he was like, well, if God doesn't want me to do this, why, God, why doesn't God just, like, change me? Right? Like, why doesn't God just, like, take this desire away? And so he's kind of frustrated with God. And nowhere in his understanding was the reality that by the way he used his time, he was cultivating his own apathy toward his sin. Right In his free time, there was no amount of, yeah, I'm praying that, that, that God would grow me in my love for him, or I'm spending time in God's word, or I'm seeking God in, in, in personal worship time, or, or anything like that. None of that was going on. And he had no clue that, that, that the liturgies of his life that he had set up were leading him to be apathetic about the things of God, leading him to be completely apathetic. He, he had practiced no amount of self-discipline. Right? In his life, he in no way was trying to grow in that, and he was reaping the fruits of it, and he was blaming God for it when really he had cultivated the whole time in his life. And he was upset with God about it. I believe it's important that we seek to, to take control of kind of the spiritual path that we're on. Turn to Jeremiah chapter 17, if you would. Um, Jeremiah chapter 17. It's very important that we're intentional about the spiritual path that we're on, it's very important that we pay very close attention to what are we cultivating in our own lives. If I looked at the, at the pattern of your life, would I assume that you're growing and maturing in the Lord, or would I assume that you're just kind of apathetic about your growth in the Lord? What kind of path does your personal liturgy, if you would, have you set on? Jeremiah 17 is going to use, uh, as is commonly used in the Bible, agricultural terms. It's a very agricultural society that uh, God's people were, were living in at this time. They, they grew a lot of their own food. Uh, they, they lived off the land, if you would. So God consistently kind of meets them where they are and where they are. And he uses agricultural language to help explain spiritual points to them. Uh, basically, Jeremiah is going to set up two different types of life. I'm going to say, and we're going to say today and for kind of throughout this series, is you're moving in one of these directions. Right? Your, your personal liturgy is going to move you in one of these two directions that Jeremiah lays out for us in Jeremiah chapter 17, starting at verse 5. Thus says the Lord, cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength, whose heart turns away from the Lord. He is like a shrub in the desert and shall not see any good come. He shall dwell in the parched places of the wilderness in an uninhabited land. 
just describing the life, the person whose life is not built on a dependence on God, but instead is depending on themselves for life, for strength, for vitality, if you would. Uh, Jeremiah calls this a cursed life. He says, cursed is the man who lives this way. He shall dwell in the parched places, and, and referring to the, the dry places, there'll be, there'll be this, this, um, this lack of vitality in him. He'll go through life in a very dry way, not flourishing, not prospering, not vibrant. You're, you're alive, but you're kind of existing instead of what I believe we would see as truly living. Let's look at verse 7 and 8. This is the contrast. This is the other way to live. Verse 7, blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord. That, 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 that word trust uh, refers to what you find a level of security in, what you find a level of strength in. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord. Verse 8, he is like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream and does not fear when the heat comes, for its leaves remain green. And it's not anxious in the year of drought, for it does not cease to bear fruit. We want to emphasize that part of the end. Does not cease to bear fruit. Even when the drought comes, even when the, when the heat comes, it does not cease to bear fruit. The, the way that you, you're, you're living, oftentimes our personal liturgies, if you would, uh, dictate to us which one of these paths we find ourselves on. Are we growing in this vibrancy, in, in, this, uh, in being like this tree that is planted by, by the rivers that does not fear when the heat comes, its leaves remain green, that does not cease to bear fruit, or are we, are we like a shrub that is in the desert? Let's look at verse 8 again. It says, he is like a tree planted by water that sends out his roots by the stream and does not fear when the heat comes, for its leaves remain green and is not anxious in the year of drought, for it does not cease to bear fruit. It, it lists heat and drought, two things that, that have a tendency that can, depending on the severity of them, uh, to, to, to prevent a tree from producing fruit. That, that will prevent a tree from, from remaining green. If, it, if it's too much hot and, it, and it's a very dry, then that tree will begin to wither out and die. Or if, it's, or if there's not enough rain and there's a drought, then that tree will begin to wither up and, and die. But this specific tree that's planted by the stream, or whose roots, sends out its roots by the stream, is able to have his leaves stay green, even when all circumstances look like that should not be the case. It's able to thrive and flourish and bear fruit, even when circumstances say that that's, that, that is impossible for it to happen at this point. This tree, I would say, operates in a way that seems supernatural. It, it, it goes against the grain. It, it is not at mercy of its circumstances, and the fruit that it produces is not at mercy of its circumstances, but rather it is linked to a source that consistently feeds it and gives it strength, and thus it is able to bear fruit at all times, no matter what comes. Drought comes, heat comes, this tree is able to continue to bear fruit. We have to Look at our lives. We have to ask ourselves, what kind of fruit are we to be bearing in season and out of season, if you would? Galatians chapter 5, 22 through 23, very familiar passage. Paul lays out what the Holy Spirit actually produces in us as believers. What, what does the Holy Spirit uh, pr- produce in us? What does he create in us? What does he cause to overflow in us when we walk in step with him? Galatians chapter 5, 22 and 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. The person that is living this, this, this blessed, this prosperous, uh, what I would call a supernatural life that, that, that Jeremiah is referring to, produces 
have a life that, that produces and shows this love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, and not just when it's easy to do so, but even when the circumstances in our lives make it seem like it is impossible for us to do so. The Holy Spirit, let me be clear about this. Holy Spirit lives in believers and supernaturally empowers us to produce the fruit of the Spirit. In a supernatural way, in a way that in and of our own strength, we would not be able to do it. He, he lives, and when we walk in step with him, he produces these things in us, regardless of the circumstances that we are in. That we wouldn't go through our lives in this dry, fruitless existence, but that our lives would show off the beautiful fruit of the Spirit. I want to take time and walk through a few of those and show what that might look like. The person who is like the tree planted by the rivers of water walks in a powerful, supernatural type of love, right? A type of love that, that remains and endures no matter what opposition comes against it. A type of love that can continue on even, even when it's met with hate, even when it's met with insults, even when, it, when, when it's not treated right. There's this, there's this strength, there's this ability by the one who's walking in step with the Holy Spirit, where the Holy Spirit supernaturally empowers the believer to still show off the fruit of love. It does not cease to bear fruit, would be Jeremiah's words. When from the outside looking in, people will be like, there is no way you can continue to go on loving this person. There's no way you can continue to walk in love towards this person. The Holy Spirit, for those who walk in step with the Spirit, do not cease to bear the fruit of love. The Christian that is living this type of blessed life that Jeremiah talks about are given a supernatural joy by the Holy Spirit. A joy that's not based on circumstances, it's not based on whether or not your life is turning out the way you wanted it to, it's not based on how others treat you, it's not based on whether or not we have achieved the things in life that we thought we would achieve, it's not based on how much money or material possessions we have, it's not based on how we feel, it's based on the fact that God himself lives inside of us and produces joy in us when we walk in step with his Spirit. As it is said in some Christian traditions, maybe yours, this joy I have, the world didn't give it. The world can't, the world can't take it away. That's real. That is real sound theology in those old school joints. The joy that I have, the world didn't give it to me. My circumstances didn't give me my joy, so when my circumstances changed, they can't take my joy away from me. My joy was never based off of whether or not my life went the way that I wanted to. My joy was based off of he who lives inside of me. I'm not talking about a fake pretend joy where you act like everything is good when you're grieving. That's not what I'm talking about. No, the Christian living this type of life that Jeremiah describes for us has this joy of the Lord that strengthens and stabilizes them even through times of suffering, heartache, and grief such that even in times of sorrow, they're still able to praise God and rejoice in him, even in times of sorrow. That grief does not necessarily lead completely into wallowing in misery, but still I'm able to find some amount of joy in the Lord, even in the most difficult of times. This is what the Holy Spirit longs to produce in us and does when we walk in step with him. The Christian living the blessed life doesn't let the difficult times prevent them from rejoicing in the Lord. You ever met a Christian like that? Just like unshakable joy. 
unshakable joy. Things in life going good, joy. Things in life going bad, joy, ongoingly. I'm not saying they're not sad. I'm not saying they don't cry. I'm not saying they don't grieve. I'm saying in the middle of it, they have an anchor of joy in the Lord. They're like a tree planted by the rivers of water that does not cease to bear fruit. The Christian that lives this blessed type of life that, that Jeremiah is referring to carries around this peace. I think it's the type of peace Paul refers to in Philippians 4, 7, and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ. He's saying the peace of God, it, it, it is beyond what we're able to comprehend because when we're looking around, it's like, I don't understand how you will be able to walk in this type of peace given the chaos that's around you, given the, all the problems and all the hurt and all the grief that is around you, you still have this peace about you. In a supernatural way, in a way that a, that a human being in and of themselves could not produce on their own. If our trust is truly in him, if we're truly walking in step with him and abiding in Jesus, the chaos of this life is not powerful enough to take away the peace of God. It's not powerful enough to quench the peace of the Holy Spirit that lives inside of God's people. I hope you're getting the picture by now. The Christian life is not intended to look the same as someone who does not have the Holy Spirit living inside of them. It should not look the same. It should not look the same from a standpoint of joy, from a standpoint of love, from a standpoint of peace. And if that is the case, if we're walking in this defeated type of, of, of Christian life as if the Holy Spirit of God, the, whole, the, the spirit of the one who raised Christ up from the dead does not live and so if we're acting and living as if he does not live inside of us, so it, it, it's like we're pro- proclaiming a power that isn't real when we live that way. When we live in this defeated and or, or, or dry way, it's like we proclaim that all the promises of God aren't even true. There is to be a marked difference. There is to be a power that shines through as we d- display the fruit of the Spirit. There's to be a strength and a victory over sin that shows off the goodness and power of our God. The Christian that is living out this blessed life that Jeremiah refers to walks in this, this uh, I call it a victorious patience that enables them to endure and persevere through anything. That enables them to endure and persevere through anything. That, that, that term patience, if you're familiar, can also be translated long-suffering. That suffering does not prevent the one who's walking in this this fruit of the Spirit from from continuing on in whatever God is calling them to. That suffering and harm and hurt does not prevent them from continuing on in what God has for them. In a way that's empowered by God's Spirit. It's growing and being able to continue on in spite of the opposition, in spite of the suffering. Because they've been given a supernatural ability to endure from the Holy Spirit. How amazing would it be to live that out every day? The Christian that lives this blessed life is able to remain kind to people regardless of how they are treated. Because their kindness isn't based on how they are treated, it is based on the power of the Holy Spirit inside of them. Their kindness is not the fruit of how they've been treated, their kindness is the fruit of the Holy Spirit that lives in them. Make you remain kind when insulted, belittled, disregarded, disrespected, hated. I'm talking supernatural. I'm talking miraculous Holy Spirit kindness produced by God himself. If I can skip a couple down to gentleness, the fruit of the spirit of gentleness, I believe is also translated meekness at times. 
Holy Spirit-empowered ability to practice restraint. You know what strength looks like? Strength isn't the ability to lose control on somebody if they upset you. Strength is the ability to harness your anger. Strength is the, the ability to control it, to put the reins on it. That's strength. Anybody can lose it, right? Any, anybody can lose on something, but the one who was able to control, the one who's able to practice with strength, the one who's able to, to talk honestly and, firm, and firmly with gentleness, oh, that's powerful. That's, that's strength. That, that, that is what strength truly looks like. And Paul is saying this is a fruit of the Spirit. When we abide with God, when we, when we walk in step with the Holy Spirit, he grants us gentleness. Doesn't mean we're passive, right? Doesn't mean we don't say the truth that needs to be said. But it means the way we go about doing that is not determined primarily by how frustrated or angry or upset we are, but based on what the, how the Holy Spirit will have us to handle the situation. The last fruit of the Spirit I get to today is self-control. The strength to not be ruled by one's desires. The strength to be able to have desires, identify what those desires are, but not be ruled and dominated and controlled by them. Right? To not be completely mastered by the desires that we have, by sinful desires that we have. To not be, to not be utterly controlled by them, but rather to be controlled by the Holy Spirit that lives inside of us. This, this is the ability to not make those decisions that you know you shouldn't make, but you just can't help it. Self-control. Produced by the Holy Spirit when we walk in step with him, when we abide with God. As Christians, we profess that God himself, God himself, creator of heaven and earth, came down to earth, lived a sinless life, sacrificed his life on our behalf to save us from the penalty of our sins, showing us that God hated sin so much that when our sins were put on his son, he executed and condemned his son on the cross. It demonstrates our father's hatred for sin. But not only does it reveal his hatred for sin, it reveals more than that. Romans 8, 11 says this. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. But he's saying also the spirit of the one, powerful enough to raise God from the dead, actually lives inside of you. So we proclaim that God shows us that he hates sin so much that he condemned his son on the cross and executed him when he was bearing our sins. And he is powerful enough to defeat sin as Jesus was raised from the dead after living a perfect life. This is the God that, that, we, that we worship, that we profess, a God who, who utterly hates sin and a God who has power over sin. If we then live lives with absolutely no victory over sin, no consistent display of the fruit of the Spirit in our lives, if our lives don't look markedly different from that of someone who does not have the Holy Spirit living in them, then we live as if the gospel that we profess isn't true and the Holy Spirit isn't real. Then we live as if the gospel that we profess is not true and that the Holy Spirit isn't real. We live as if God is not powerful enough to strengthen us, to redeem us, to, to sanctify us. There should be a, a godly presence of the fruit of the Spirit in the life of the believer that is shown in the good times and the bad, that, is shown, that, that, that does not cease to bear fruit in the heat or in the drought. 
So I think the question that we come to, why don't we see this on display in our lives? Why don't I see this on display in my, in my life as I desire to? As I'm reading through this, I'm looking at all this, I'm like, this will be amazing. This sounds great. How do I do that? I believe one of the primary reasons we often don't see ourselves growing in this, in this victorious, blessed life, if you would, that God has for us is because we've practiced through our day-to-day habits living defeated Christian lives. We, we, we've cultivated our own defeat, if you would. Let me be clear. I'm not saying the rest of our lives we should be perfect. I'm not saying we're no longer going to be sinners. I'm not saying any of that. I'm saying that even though that is true, we should still be fighting and see some amount of victory in our lives as Christians because of the presence of the Holy Spirit who manifests himself in powerful ways. Hear, hear me on this. Uh, one of the things that we do as a church very frequently is talk about how the fact that we're all sinners, which I think is very appropriate because the, further, the more we understand how sinful we are, the more we understand how gracious God is and how forgiving God is. If we only understand our sin to be this deep, then we understand his forgiveness to be this deep. Right, but if if we see our sin to be to be vast, that we've sinned against God in unbelievable ways, then the fact that He saved us and forgives us blows us away and leads us to worship of Him. Right, so we talk about how sinful we are a lot here because we want to have a further and a, and a thorough understanding of God's grace and His forgiveness towards us. With that said, we have to be careful because what often ends up happening is we we refer to ourselves so much uh, in the Bible. Paul often refers to we refer to as sinners and saints, right? This is like a, an impossible dichotomy, right? He, he, he just said uh, that, that, that we, are also, we are both flying and standing on the ground at the same time. That's what he says. He says we're sinners and saints. We need to, know, to understand both aspects of our identity, that God has cleansed us from the sins of our past, given us power to fight against our sin and walk in victory over sin, while we still have an understanding of our sinfulness that leads us to worship of God and leads us to fight more against our sin. It's what God calls us to understand. We take it too far when our understanding of our sinfulness leads us to this defeated mindset that's just like, oh, I'm not going to fight against my sin. I'm just a sinner. God's going to forgive me. I don't know what Bible you're reading. I don't know what Bible you you are reading to find that. No, no, believers fight against their sin. God supernaturally gives us power to say no to sin in ways that we had not previously been able to do so when we rely on his spirit. Check out what Paul says in Romans 6, 17 and 18. But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. So based on the teaching that you've heard and you've been committed to, now when you were slaves of sin, we see obedience to God in your life now. Verse 18, and having been set free from sin, have become slaves to righteousness. The path to maturity for the believer looks like one who was a slave to sin and is now learning what it looks like and practicing what it looks like to now be a slave to righteousness. That we were once bound to our sin, that we were unable to turn away from our sin and turn to God. The Holy Spirit comes in, revives us spiritually, and now we begin to learn what it looks like to practice victory over sin. Having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. That the very righteousness of God now controls us. The very righteousness of God leads us and directs us and decides the way that we act and how we respond. That the very righteousness of God that we cling to leads us toward living out the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. As pastors in our family of churches, we've identified what we believe to be five enemies um, that fight against us living this type of blessed life that Jeremiah talks about. 
five enemies that, that, that we're saying, we believe these things specifically have come up. We, in and of ourselves, have cultivated these five things, and they are causing us to be spiritually dry. They're causing us to live, be like the shrub that's in the desert that dwells in the parched places instead of the tree whose roots are at the streams of water. We've cultivated lives, if we're honest, of just being dominated by sin. I want to say to the believer, through the power of the Holy Spirit, you are able to fight against your sin. You are able to walk in victory against your sin. You are able, through the power of the Holy Spirit, to see his fruit produced in your life. And if you don't believe that, you have no idea who the Holy Spirit is. You have no idea who the Holy Spirit is. Five spiritual enemies of the blessed life. The first one that we'll get into in, in throughout this series. We're going to be in the series for a minute, as you'll see. Apathy. Not caring about things God created you to care about. For whatever reason, your affections, the things that you love, the things that you desire most are not the most important things, but rather things that God does not care as much about. Number two, distraction. Being unable to focus on God and others because your attention is taken by less important things. Your life is so filled with so many different things that you're, 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 you're distracted from, the, from practicing the Christian disciplines of, of prayer, of spending time in God's word, of, of caring for those who are hurting, et cetera, et cetera. Number three, self-reliance. Living your day-to-day life like living your day-to-day life, excuse me, depending primarily on your own strength and resources. Not living with a constant uh, acknowledgement of the presence of the Holy Spirit in your life and just drawing strength from him, but rather relying on self. Number four, cynicism. A posture of skepticism that leads you to doubt God's presence and activity in your life. Cynicism. You pray because you don't think God, you don't pray because you don't think God's going to do anything. You don't share your faith because you don't think God's going to do anything. You just doubt that God would ever do anything that you ask him to do. Number five, self-absorption. Being so preoccupied with your thoughts, feelings, desires, and concerns above all else. You walk through life just like a mirror is right here, right in front of you. And what you see, what you think about is how everything affects you. What you, what you, what you think about primarily is yourself and how you're feeling with a disregard for so many other things that God cares about in this world. Self-absorption. This entire series, we're going to very intentionally fight against each of these uh, enemies to our spiritual vitality. Uh, I'll explain it in a second. We're going to ask you to do some things that are a little bit more involved than what we've asked you to do before to pursue your own spiritual help to fight against these five spiritual enemies. We'll get to more on that in a second. Uh, we've separated the next five months. We're going to be in the series for five months. We've separated the next five months in chunks of three or four weeks, uh, gearing each section to help us intentionally fight one of the spiritual enemies. So you should be able to see how we have an outline. I know some people like to know exactly where we're going. That's for you. That's right there behind me. We have practiced unhelpful things. We have cultivated a lack of our own joy, love, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control, we're going to intentionally fight against these enemies that lead us down those paths towards this dry Christian existence. Each section, we will have a daily challenge that we will all do together as a church to practice becoming people who walk in this blessed life, this flourishing life that God calls us to. Research says it takes about 21 days to develop a new habit. 
I think we're setting this one for about 120. So we're hoping a lot of new habits are going to be developed in the people of God. And we truly believe God's going to use it to grow us up, to, to grow us into in, being this, this, this flourishing people that he has called us to be. So here's what we did to help you out, because we know you like your phones. To make it really simple, we created an, an app for this series. This is, one of the, <laughs> this is one of the few times that I would love for you to right now take out your phone. The app is called, very creatively designed, Personal Liturgy. <laughs> Available for Apple and Android devices. Step one is get the app. You can literally download it right now in the room. Personal Liturgy, you can find it in the store. It starts today. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to have a challenge each day that we're going to invite you to join us in. It's going to start off something pretty easy. Just have a couple prompts, and it's going to be us journaling together. Number one, get the app. I'm getting ahead of myself. 120 days with a daily challenge to compete. Step number two, don't miss a day. Here's what I'm asking you to do. I'm asking, as a church, just a, a, a pastoral observation. Uh, I, don't, I don't consider, uh, for most of us, uh, self-discipline and things that, that, that push us towards the Lord to be our strongest suit. I'm asking you to fight with every bit of fight in you to rail against that with this series. I'm going to ask you to try with everything that you have to not miss a day. And then if you miss a day, don't miss the next one. I'm asking you to fight with everything you have. I'm asking you to make priorities. I'm asking you to set reminders in your phone, in your calendar. I'm asking you to check in on your life group, group meetings with each other to see if we miss a day. I'm asking you to try with everything you have to fight to not miss a day. And if you miss a day, don't miss the next one. Each day the new, on the app, new content, questions, and some type of daily challenge is going to pop up. Um, only on that day will you, will you be able to actually interact with the challenges and the questions for that day. Right? When, it, when it's tomorrow, you don't get to pursue spiritual health yesterday on tomorrow. Right? So each day we're asking you to, to, to engage with whatever the prompt is, whatever we're asking you to do for that day. We're starting off easy. You can do it in just a few quick minutes. Uh, uh, spouses in the room, especially people with young children, I'm asking you to fight for each other to be able to do this. It's okay, babe. I got the kids. You can go do it. It's okay, babe. I'll, I'll take care of this. You can go do this. I value your spiritual life and your spiritual vitality enough to make sacrifices for you to be able to do that. You can edit. Now, you can go to the, you can go to the, the different prompt or whatever multiple times in one day. But on the next day, uh, what you need to do after you respond to it, hit save. And then on the next day, it'll have a little, uh, a little bubble at, at the top or a light at the top that says, yes, you completed that, that specific day. It's, we call it a, a, a progress bar. It's for motivation to not, to not miss a day. Also, let that serve as helpful motivation for you not to miss a day. A few reasons why we created the app. Uh, one in our family of churches, we have a, 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 someone who's very talented in making apps, and actually we were able to do this for, for cheaper than if we would have made a book and printed that out. Um, and you guys may or may not lose the books when we give them to you. Anyway, uh, number two, uh, we wanted, we know you ain't going to lose your phone like that, though. We, we know you're going to have that. We know you're going to have that. Also, we wanted everyone to be able to have access to it. Uh, so we can, we can, you have it there on your, on your smartphone. Also, uh, we, we know that uh, smartphones just occupy a lot of our attention. You spend a lot of time on it, uh, looking at it. And so we wanted to be able to use that in a very intentional way for our own spiritual growth. Lastly, some of you, you like that, you like that, that pen and paper type stuff. Like you don't like typing on the phone and all that. Here's what you can do. You can sign up at personalliturgy.com where we will email you every morning 
If you register, we'll email you the prompt, and you can, you can buy yourself a journal, do whatever you got to do. You don't have to use the app, but you can keep up with it that way uh, if you don't love uh, to, to use your phone and do typing and stuff like that in your phone. Again, personalenergy.com, you can sign up for an email list where we'll email you the content each morning. Uh, or if you just don't like tech and, and, and apps and things like that, then that, that could be something that's beneficial for you. The first few weeks, uh, it'll be simple. Uh, we'll just be journaling. Uh, together uh, to try to fight against apathy. Here's what often happens is we don't take time to, to kind of reflect and meditate on how we're actually doing spiritually. Uh, we don't take time to, to, to meditate on, on who God is. Uh, and, and so what happens is we, we kind of exist and we kind of live in, in this existence from one task to the next, one task to the next, one task to the next. We never stop, slow down, reflect. And before you look back, I mean, before you even notice it, 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 it's been a month and you haven't really even considered like who God is in your own personal time. You haven't taken time to consider how you're doing spiritually. So this journaling, we're asking you to, to, to take a minute, sit down, pray, God, search my heart. Help me understand how I'm doing spiritually. God, help me see you for who you are. Help me to be in awe of how glorious you are. Lord, reveal my heart to you. It's, it's this little reset to fight against the apathy that comes from just living from, from one task to the next, which we often get into. If you do that, you, you'll find yourself just apathetic about how you're doing spiritually because you never invest any time into it. You never actually sit there and think about how you are doing spiritually. So for those of you who, who haven't journaled before, it's, it's, it's really, I, I consider it a meditation exercise. It's a reflection exercise that helps keep our hearts and our minds engaged on how we are doing in a spiritual sense. Doing this to help us fight against the distraction, the self-reliance, the cynicism, the, the self-absorption. Uh, we're asking you to do this. For some of you, you heard me say all this, and you're like, yep, I'm on board. Some of you are just like, I don't want to do this. I know y'all. Y'all ain't fooling me. We're asking everyone to do it. Uh, if you're a member of our church, we're asking everyone to do it, regardless of how you think about it. Um, no matter how necessary you believe it is for you, I'm, we're, we're asking you, we're pleading with you to engage with this. And one of the reasons is, is it's not just for you, but there's something powerful about getting a group of people together, a community of people together, moving through something together that will encourage others who are tempted to fall off to continue to, to stay in it. In our life group discussion that we will be doing in our life group, some of the questions will refer back to some of the, uh, some of the prompts or some of the challenges that were in uh, the app. So we, we embedded some amount of accountability into our life group structure. If you don't want to do it for yourself, do it for the rest of us. Um, it will only take you a small amount each day. Uh, for some of you, the things that, that we'll be asking you to do on the app, some of those things that you already do, right? So when we're talking about whether it's, it's time in the Word or time in the prayer, for some of you, it's things you already do. Okay, just keep, keep doing what you're doing. Uh, fill it out on the app, and we'll continue to move through together. We want everybody else to get uh, in the habit and in the practice of doing uh, those things as well. And so... Um, Times we're talking about, about, about praying to the Lord. Maybe you already, maybe you already do it for longer than we're going to ask you to. Okay, continue doing that. We don't, we don't want you to like take a step backwards on this. Continue doing what you were doing. Um, and if, if it's tough for you, right, if this type of discipline and structure in pursuing uh, the life that God calls us to live is tough for you, that's how you know you need it. That's how you know you need it. If it's challenging and everything in you is like, man, I want, I want to do this. That's how you know you need to do it. <laughs> Let that be a motivating factor for you, that you notice in your heart this tendency to not want to be disciplined in pursuing uh, spiritual disciplines and things that God uses to cultivate uh, spiritual health and vitality in our lives. Notice that impulse in you. Notice that desire in you that's like, I don't want to do it. And see that as the very reason 
the very reason that you need to be doing it, because you want to be fighting against that impulse in you with everything that you have, with everything that you have. We're going to do it together. We're going to take 120 days starting today. And I believe if we do it, I believe in a few months from now, we'll be, we'll be walking. We'll be looking more like this tree planted by the streams than we have before. I believe we'll be walking in more victory as Christians for many of us than we've ever experienced in our lives if we commit to doing what we have here. These are things that our, our pastors have thought through. We prayed through what will be beneficial for our people. We're asking you to commit to it. We're asking you to stick with it. Um, and I believe God will use it and make us like the tree that never, that does not cease to bear fruit. Let me pray for us. Lord, we're going to need your help with this one. For many of us, uh, walking, living out disciplined Christian lives is a very difficult thing. Lord, we're so used to just letting our desires rule us. Like whatever we feel like doing in the moment is what we do. Would you uh, convict us of that? Would you lead us to repentance? Lord, would you, would you give us this, this, this undying desire, Lord, to consistently, to, to, to ongoingly walk in step with you, to abide with you every day of our lives, would you help us to remain committed? Will you help us to hold each other accountable? Will you help us to, to, to encourage each other, Lord? If somebody falls off the wagon and is not consistently pursuing you, Lord, would you, will you help us to come alongside each other? Lord, those of us in the room who, who, are, not, uh, who, who are not practicing healthy discipline uh, in, in, in a number of ways, will you use this to grow us up in being disciplined and living in, in self-control? Lord, would you use this time to transform us? Will you use this time to teach us what it is uh, to walk in your victory uh, like never before? It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen.